We talking about staff. Staff. We like staff. <laughs> <sighs> Professional. We we get straight back into it. Uh, intellectual property. Oh, you want to start with that one? I love it when you go backwards because I'm like, which way is he going to go? No, one, no, two. No, we're going to go backwards today. Yes, intellectual property and trademarking and businessy stuff. Yes. Well, the reason I want to start with this one is because uh, when we when we prefaced this episode, you said you have a trademark, and I was like, okay, I don't want to talk about public working until we have what trademark is sort of like what it is grounded in the conversation. So when we move forwards, we're not going backwards and forwards on ourselves. Uh, so I don't have a trademark. Still, I don't. Still going to go backwards and forwards. Oh, of course, because it's a dynamical system that we're organising. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but the, the the trademark, I've I've never had one. I don't think I will have one um, because I, I I don't see the point of a trademark. It's not like I don't understand why you have one. It's like I don't like what do I get from it? If that makes sense. Um, obviously, no one else can use it, but people still do and you're like are you gonna is it worth fighting for it when they do and if they don't and that whole conversation and i figured uh you have a trademark so i'll just ask you so you those questions yeah um so i was never planning to get a trademark um originally and the trademark i have is simplicity specialist obviously um and that is the trademark that i have for now there are a couple of others that i'm going to be getting soon which i'm obviously not going to share because who knows who's listening and who's going to take it for the sake of it to be annoying um but there's a couple of others that i want to do and the reason for me was it's kind of future planning it's the things that i want to talk about like simplicity specialist um the original idea of simplicity specialist was to create a certification program where people become simplicity specialists so they become and so that was the business decision behind getting the trademark um similarly the other trademark that i'm looking at getting is kind of protecting my ip so to speak and it is having that extra protection just to cover what i'm doing also just to preface this i am not a lawyer i'm not a trademark lawyer this is just my context and my experience please do not take what i say as fact because it probably isn't i just went with my gut and got some advice from fellow people who have done trademarks before and have gone yeah this makes sense to trademark what i've got especially as it's something that I <clears throat> that I'm not going to move away from. One thing that um, Business and Notion was another thing that I could have trademarked. I chose not to. Um, and as of now, Business and Notion is kind of dissolved into oblivion, even in my own head, because Simplicity Specialist is the way that I'm going. And I think for me, I went down the trademark route originally because of certification. And then it's like, no, this is what I have. This is something that I want to protect. This is something that that matters um to me and i want to make sure that it is being used correctly as well which is the way that i want it used because the simplicity specialist as people keep telling me i'm the only one who can do what i do and so that kind of what happened so what happens if someone does use it good question yeah, so what happens when someone does <laughs> use it is I've got to fight it. So I can get some, I can get a lawyer, cease and desist, and lots of other little bits and pieces to stop people from using it. It also stops other people from trademarking the word. So that's the kind of main thing is that people can't use that without permission. They can't trademark the simplicity specialist and take ownership of it. I've seen quite a few uh, business owners who have been doing the same thing for such a long time. Um, and they originally came up with the word and came up with it and created the whole program. And then someone else trademarked it and forced them to change the whole thing. And so it, it kind of protects the longevity of the business for me, because the simplicity specialist is what I do. That is how I work. And no one can trademark it and stop me from using it was my primary reason but also there is that if someone starts using it and is, you know, not using it properly, et cetera, et cetera, I can come in and stop them, basically. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I see it because um, I'm thinking like, well, there, there's loads of businesses out there and I don't know if there is a trademark or isn't. Um, 
how can you tell if a word has been trademarked or not from the outside in if they haven't put like a, a t on the thing how do you know yeah so you basically so i'm trademarked in the uk at the moment looking at us as well um but you actually can go on and search the trademark thing on the internet there is a whole place where you can search trademarks and say like a library yeah it's like a library of trademarks that exists and also you can actually when you go in to try and trademark a sentence or a word or a phrase or a icon or whatever it may be it will do a check to make sure that you actually it hasn't already been trademarked and you'll see a list of other people who have trademarks that are similar so you can search for the trademark and then either register it or not and how much does that cost uh, so it cost me around. Off the Doesn't top. have to be accurate, of course. So just yeah. So it's I think it was like couple of hundred, couple of hundred pound. Um, I opted to check first and then go for the trademark. So I split it into two. Um, I can't remember what it's called, and this is the UK one primarily. But yeah, it's a couple of hundred, just over, and basically depending on how many categories you put it in, it costs a little bit more. Because there's right. categorizations of trademark. Because it's kind of like your uh, your uh, domain habit of of getting domains. You you you, you trademark. Well, you you have a habit let, of let let you. <laughs> I am not the only one with a trademark problem and a, a, a um a domain <laughs> problem. I was going to say you got a trademark problem as well. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm good with that at the moment. I'm not the only one with a da- domain program. A pr- domain a problem. English. I can English this morning. It's good. Um, <laughs> domain problem. Uh, you talk to the vast majority of entrepreneurs. They also have domain problems. They have what is known as the domain graveyard. I am not alone. And they, I, I hold all of them responsible and take no responsibility for myself. Thank you. Uh, that's that's a that's a true CEO right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, but is, is, it, is it the same sort of thing? Like domain, I have it, no one else can have it. Trademark, I have it, no one else can have it sort of thing. It's kind of the next level of that. Right. It is genuinely protecting. I have domains that I would never trademark. Yeah. But yeah, I would always continue to trademark. The things that I'm going after trademarks for are stuff that it's it's for sustainability. It's going to last a long time. I cannot see myself changing from simplicity specialist because that's who I am. That is what I do. Um, you are the, the specialist. You are the hmm? specialist of simplicity. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And and that is literally it. Um. Yeah. So moving on from trademarks and into intellectual property because ip is obviously trademarks but it's also the ideas theories concepts topics behind it but i don't know if you can i don't think you can trademark an idea (laughs) um rather than like a word or a brand or something so the ideas behind simplicity specialist i would i would see in my head as intellectual property yeah. But if someone else uses it, then that's their own because either they figured it out or they heard it off you because there's no way to prove that they got it off you and now they're using it or whether they just worked it out themselves. So how does that sort of like fit into this mold of... So you're protecting, once again, disclaimer, blah, 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 but you're protecting a process is intellectual property like how you do things in a unique and individual way and the things that you do, the steps I've already shown you, what I've been working on behind the scenes of like a process that I have. And the process can be trademarked and you can protect your IP. It is possible to protect your IP to say that you own it. And that is where, from my limited understanding, um, why I did it. And also it does protect your intellectual property because it is. Um, And you are. You're protecting a very specific form because you have multiple categorizations when you do trademarks. 
etc etc and so you're protecting a very specific form of how you do things from my understanding right because obviously in the in the research world in the academic world the the only way you can really claim an idea or a thought is if people name it after you but yeah (laughs) otherwise you're just like whoever's got the biggest profile in the scientific world they get the the name of look they found this thing no they didn't someone else did but they just happen to have a bigger profile get more citations etc etc that's the relative age effect in um well it's it's an element of the relative age effect actually what is that i guess that would be the matthew effect yeah I, this is part of my own research i guess it's like the matthew effect of the rich become richer and the poor poorer um because they have that upfront advantage inside of scientific research uh but yeah, so the the intellectual property in education, in knowledge, I guess you'd say, it's very difficult to say, yeah, that was that person or that person found that. Yeah, I think in business and more specifically entrepreneurship, it is very much like democratized. Like you can do anything you want. Now, my understanding of the Matthew effect is the rich become richer, the poor become poorer. That still does obviously exist, but it is to a lesser degree, I feel, than in the research world, based on what you've been saying and the experience and what you the information you sent. Of like, it's still very possible to be highly quote unquote successful without being one of the big people on the block so to speak and it's much more about that thousand fans concept which has problems but it's fine we'll use it for now but like the thousand fans concept can bring in quite a lot for you i know a number of business owners who are quote unquote not known in the world but I would trust them more than any of the bigger, well-known business owners, entrepreneurs, whatever you want to call them, because and they're making a good amount of money. They are living their life. They are doing what they want to do. So I feel that entrepreneurship is very democratized, whereas from my experience and what you've explained to me of the research world, it's not. It very much is. You have lots of money. You get lots of fame, fortune, success, etc. Notoriety. Yeah, notoriety. Yeah. 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 Big egos. <laughs> well, I, I say big egos. I think it's like the, re, the research ego. A lot of them, uh, this is obviously from the outside, but a lot of researchers boast that they have lots of citations or they have lots of papers or they have lots of XYZ inside of research, but very few. I would, I would like they they pride themselves in this one thing like i have this idea concept topic thing that i'm researching and i know this thing better than anyone else because i'm the expert on this thing and i feel that's what researchers do whereas i'm more of a hey i know enough to get myself around that topic i'm gonna go do something else now and do another topic and i know, I know enough, enough to, get enough to be there. dangerous <laughs> exactly that is pretty much my interest is to know enough to be dangerous yeah, I mean, if I, if I can say a couple of words related to the topic that confuse normal people, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I want to confuse you. Yep. I mean, you uh, you quite, uh, quite well-eyed individual was looking at my Zotero and spotted a, a paper that I read a while back now um, called Understanding Knowledge of Causes, basically. Um and the paper is in epistemology. It's looking at what knowledge is, what understanding is. Uh, and the, the traditional view of what understanding is, is knowledge of causes. If you understand the cause of something, knowledge of causes, then you understand something. And the paper explores three or four other perspectives. Um, I will be doing a paper review on the YouTube channel. So uh, look out for that one because it will be much more succinct <laughs> covering all, all the paper. But um, it, it goes on to say some issues with this idea of knowledge of causes in that there are different levels of understanding because different approaches. There are different beliefs behind the understanding. Uh, and then inside of knowledge, if you believe knowledge is uh, a justified true belief, you have the Gettier cases, which go against it. Again, this is epistemology that isn't related to this paper, but background information. 
Um, and those Gettier cases, well, then if those Gettier cases, it's not justified true belief, then your understanding of the Gettier case will also be different. Um, and they give lots of ex- Grimm give lots of examples in the in the paper about this. So you can understand something and someone else can understand something, but you both have completely different understandings. <laughs> Which very much, if you tie it into where we're at now in social media and fake news, it's the same thing. It's like you look at the division of humans, like the absolute horrific division of humans right now. The feeds that we get given and get shown are incredibly different information. Like what one person sees is not the same as what the other person sees. and Neither person realizes that the other person is not seeing the same thing as that other person. No one is seeing the same thing. It was like I had a play with Google to see what happens if I'm in a different location. And <laughs> the 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 results are flipping fascinating. Like the difference is creepy. Yeah. Depending on location. And and I think that's that is quite a nice example there. Yeah, it's interesting because Obviously, all my research is very, very similar to knowledge and learning. And when I was reading through the paper for making the script, I was explaining to John, I'm reading through the paper two or three times. First time as an actual read, yellow highlights. Second time for the red highlights, so I know what I want to talk about in the video. Uh, Third time is actually scripting out my thoughts on the red points uh, and then actually doing the video process. But when I was going through the red points, so I was doing the second read through, I realized, actually, you know what? All of this knowledge of understanding, knowledge of causes and and degrees of understanding relates to meta-ignorance because those with deeper, greater, whatever you want to call it, understanding have less of a meta-ignorance around the topic. So they are in theory more expert in in the topic, whatever it is. So they have less less ignorance around it. Uh, and the one of the examples that really stuck out to me that they spoke about was, bear with me here, you're peeling an onion right? (laughs) You're peeling an onion and your eyes start watering. Someone that understands the chemistry of the onion will understand why your eyes are watering to a greater extent to you. Like you'll just go, yeah, my eyes are watering because of the onion. But what is it in the onion that's making your eyes water? You wouldn't be able to make choices to stop your eyes from crying unless you knew the chemistry behind it. But you still understand the same thing. You both understand the onion's making you cry, but one has more information, more prior knowledge behind it. So they can make different choices. And that prior knowledge to make different choices, I think is literally what we struggle with online with the fake news. Like not everyone has the same prior knowledge. So we make decisions from what I would class from the meta-ignorance research is read around knowledge. We think it's relevant, so we're going to use it, but it's not relevant and it's read around knowledge. And that can lead to overinflated views, preconceived notions, and loads of other decisions that... They're they're rational error decisions. They're decisions made on errors that are rational, but not necessarily correct. Yeah. And this whole field, I'm like, yes, I love it. But how do we do do anything about it? What do we do? We can't just say, hey, you're wrong. um, Because like I explored in a, or we'll be exploring in another paper that I read through. um, We we are biased people. Like humans are biased in their their reasoning. We, We pick biased reasoning over scientific reasoning. I'm not going to and go into that, that paper because that's a whole other story. But that also kind of relates to the AI conversation because we've got systems that are being influenced by our bias. But unless we are cogn- cognitive of our own biases, it then makes it even harder for us to go past it. So this is a tweet that I saw, I think it was last week. It was about limiting beliefs. And August Bradley was talking about getting rid of your limiting beliefs or trying to challenge them. I can't remember the phrasing or the wording. Uh, and I said, how do you do that? And the the conversation sort of went on a bit. And I I sort of disengaged with the thread because there wasn't a, an actual answer. It was just, well, question yourself. But how can you question yourself about something you don't know? Like it's a limiting belief. You would need a coach, you need someone else there, or you'd need exposure to something that you're unaware of because you're challenging an unknown unknown. And there wasn't an answer there. And I didn't expect there to be an answer there either. It was kind of like a, it wasn't me asking a question for him to fall in a trap, but I was interested to see where he took the answer. 
and he just kept saying, well, you've got to question it. You've got to push these things. And I'm like, but how do you do that? Uh, and that is where I think exposing yourself to something completely new, completely random, completely different is an advantage people that are curious have in challenging their limiting beliefs because you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't go outside of your your wheelhouse, you won't move anywhere unless you're speaking to other people. Hence, communications, communities that aren't just your community, which is why I go and speak to people that have drastically different views to me. I don't necessarily agree with them, but I can understand some of their, their what I would class as rational errors and their biased reasoning. So I can then either challenge my own, change my own, or just reinforce my own reasoning <laughs> and be like, yeah. nah, you're completely wrong. I'm going to stick with me. Um, yeah, I find the idea of getting rid of limiting belief to be the wrong... It's wrong. You can't get rid of a limiting belief. The limiting belief will always exist. You just have to make a different decision. I see like all of the ways in which we quote unquote screw ourselves up with massive like whatever these are. Speech mark thingies. Speech marks like the ways that we mess ourselves up if we have a better understanding or we start to maybe not understanding, maybe that's the wrong word, but just acknowledge them rather than trying to push them away. It actually makes a a big difference in terms of how it's it's removing the sting from them. We all have limiting beliefs. We all have things that block us and stop us, no matter who we are, no matter what we do, or, or they get in our way. And often the idea of the thing to do is to just get rid of them and like pretend they don't exist or just push past them. But you can't really push past them because they're there. <laughs> it's about knowing that they're there and seeing them first and then making either a different decision or not. Like, and making a decision on what you want to do about it. ED perspective. Are you actually getting yeah. me? You want me to explain no, I'm, that? In I'm, 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 yeah, I'm curious to see where your head goes because I was going oh! to explain it that way and I thought you were going to, but you didn't. And I was like, okay, how would you explain that from an ED perspective? Okay. I love being quizzed by you. It's fun. <laughs> well, I was going to explain it and I was like, I want to see how you, how you see this problem explained through ED. Well, it, it is, okay, here's where, here's where my head goes. A limiting belief is a constraint, but it has different affordances. And so the way that you, the if you shift the environment, the environment where the constraints are, and you make a different decision, it changes the environment that you're in, offering different affordances. Okay. I, I agree. I think limiting beliefs are constraints. Constraints can't have affordances because it's a constraint, not an affordance. Well, yeah, but yeah, the opposite, so to speak. But yeah, so the limiting belief is constraining the affordances you may have as the self-organized yes. system yeah. inside the environment. Um, I, I think because you don't know what the constraint is inside of the environment constraining your organization, um, it could be helping you. So you yeah. don't you don't know it's a limiting belief. That's how I see it. I'm like, there is this thing in the environment that I'm unaware of. How do I know it's a limiting belief if it's an unknown unknown? And th that's where my question comes from. Like, and and like, that's also quite interesting because of an experience I've been having recently as I've been exploring these limiting beliefs that I have, stuff, these blocks, these things that get in my way. I'm like, are they a block? And just actually, instead of like trying to avoid it completely, just going and kind of playing around it and and seeing it and seeing what it actually is and understanding it, like living in that environment, seeing what happens, experiencing that almost as the limiting belief as the center instead of it being right over there. 
but also be because we have these things. They are things that we do. And when you start from you, you need all of you, including the bits you don't like including the anxiety, the fear, the stuff that stops you and holds you back from doing what you want to do, the limiting beliefs. If you don't know them, notice them, note them, see them, then you're not you. So the way I view a constraint, bear, bear with me for a second. The mm -hmm. way I view a constraint is a system inside of your system. Yeah. Because the constraint, the limiting belief, has organization, which reduces your organization because it's it's like a, a like a clot, <laughs> I guess you could say. It's kind of like it's a clot getting in the way. Yeah. Um, I was like, how do I think of a good analogy here? But it's it's lots of stuff that's sort of like bundled together. You're like, I, I don't want that. Um, but to, to carry on with the analogy, to to disperse or get rid of the clot, get rid of the block, you need to do something to it. You, you need to poke it, you need to prod it, you need to pull it apart and do whatever. Um, but that involves you recognizing it and then doing something to it. Yeah. If the constraint has been put in by someone else, then it's kind of like a plug. <laughs> you pull the plug and there you go, water flows out and you, you go do whatever and you, you're back out into the ocean doing whatever you want. Um, but if it's a constraint that it's just there and that constraint could be literally society, the building you're in, the houses you're you're living in or the people around you, all of those things. You, you can't always control all those constraints, the systems in your macro system. Um, then you need to poke and prod it so that it's organized well enough in your environment or just like pushed far to the brim <laughs> out the way because everyone in the world is still part of your environment. Yeah, I can I can push some people as far away as possible. People that are not helpful, um, they're still a constraint. But if I have nothing to do with them, it doesn't impact my my main. Depending, like if you're looking at, um, I think it's Bronfenner. Yeah, I think it's Bronfenner's uh, research on systems. He uses systems in learning, and I think it's like uh, meso, mac, well, micro, meso, macro, ecto, and then another one. Um, but basically, your your main circle, they're not there, so they're not impacting you enough. Um, so yeah, I see a limiting belief as a, as a systematic constraint of self-organized information and elements of information that you need to poke and prod to figure out what's going on, but to know it's there recognition needs to happen, which is either a metacognitive activity or conversation with someone that's in there or over there, or also has that limiting belief. Yeah. And it, I love that. I have no more. I'm just like, yes. Okay, <laughs> uh, and, and I think this is the interesting thing about when you look on uh, in the productivity space and not even that, actually, just in the personal development space. It's all about ridding yourself of things and getting rid of things and trying to remove them. But as you rightfully said, you can push it far away from your system, but it is still part of your system. <laughs> environment. Yeah. And sorry, it's still part of your environment. Yeah, you can push it, it out of your system, of, but into yeah, your environment. Yeah, but it is still somewhere. part of your environment that exists, and it will probably come back. There's a reason it was nearby. Mm -hmm. I got asked a really interesting question over on Twitter. Um, it was a DM, and they asked how... So <laughs> I assume they've been listening to the podcast because they asked about entropy in a system, and I was like, okay, cool. Systems theory, here we go. And they asked, how do you get rid of or prevent entropy in productivity you can't <laughs> um well that's you you do ish uh because entropy is essentially chaos in a system so the environment's like all over the place and entropy is a system decaying back into the environment so like, how do you prevent that well maintenance effort right and their question was how do you do that with minimal effort i'm like well the self-organization of the system has to be extremely strong so you need less effort. Like if you've got one, um, let's go really, 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 really um, basic. If you've got one line between two dots, like a node and a line, that line is not very thick. So it requires a lot of effort, but like in that one strand, that one strand, loads of effort to keep it together. If you've got three there, three there it's split over three. It's kind of like the, the breaking the arrow scenario where you've got, if you've got one, it's easy to snap. If you've got hundred, it's really hard. Uh, so the more connections you make between the two nodes, the stronger it is, the more self-organized it is, the less effort you have to put in. And that literally summarizes what 
productivity is, the more connections an organization you have in your system, the less effort you need to put into it, which is simplicity. Simplicity isn't breaking it down so you've got one connection. Oh, I know. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I've ranted about this so much. Do you use that analogy? Hmm? Do you use the analogy of the arrows? I did not. That will be used. I like that. That's very good. I love that analogy, actually. Yeah. And and that is the thing. Everyone deem uses simplicity as a shortcut to less or minimalism. And it's not. Simplicity is on the brink of chaos. (laughs) That's the way I see it. Simplicity is on the absolute brink of chaos. They are together. They are one and the same. That's how I see it. Yeah, I think the traditional view of simplicity and productivity and all that sort of stuff is putting the bits that you want together. That That's it. There's mm. there's no practice, enhancement, mm. maintenance, mm. effort. That that All of that stuff sort of disacre- disappears. And when you see like all the wellness conversations, oh, you need to do this and relax over here. Yeah, but what about the effort you've got to put in? People say reduce the effort. Well, if you reduce the effort, it means you've got to put the effort in somewhere else. Otherwise, entropy because it's a thing, will happen and your system will dissipate and it will go back into the environment and be chaotic again, which you don't want to happen, which is what you're you're trying to avoid something that happens without doing the thing that stops it from happening. And you're like, kind of like face palming a little bit. <laughs> like You can't avoid it without doing something. And then once you've done it enough, the amount of effort is less over time because you've, you've done the upfront work. Like every system... I know this is very theoretical at the moment, bringing it into a practical example. Obsidian, Notion, Rome, Remnote, whatever tool you're going to use, the upfront work, if you do it well, I don't want to say right because there isn't a right way to do it, but if you do it well, less effort needs to be put in later on. Like in my Obsidian, I literally do no maintenance. It just, I just do it. But to start with, I put in a lot of work to figure it out. Same with Notion. Notion's a little bit different because you can fiddle around and play and change and adapt and mold all over the time and all over the place. Mm, I think Obsidian, you can also do the same thing, but it's it's a mindset mindset shift. Um, I think the affordances in Notion. Sorry, yeah, I was going to say I think the affordances in Notion are they're more prominent. So using the, Mm. the line analogy, I would say like if you've got a dot in obsidian and a dot in notion in obsidian you've got three or four strands between the other dot whereas in notion it's just one because you can so easily switch it to something else yeah that is true that is that is i think the best and worst possible thing about notion is when you need flexibility you can have it but sometimes that flexibility just can get in the way of doing what you want to do yeah you you need to make those connections and strands to solidify the organization before really using it whereas in obsidian i think those strands are already fairly solid um similar with remnant rome and stuff whereas notion is because it is such a builder of a tool yeah those strands are quite thin and you can very easily chop and change them which is an yeah. affordance but also is limiting <laughs> can be yes yeah 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 i just simplicity it's way fun <laughs> Yeah, you'll have to use the arrow analogy. I will. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Moving into the public working research work journey stuff, second section that, that was the first section. <laughs> yep. Um I on my theory in practice. There you go. Yeah. I as I as I said to you before, I've changed my videos because a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about is confusing. And when I try and put it all together, as we've just discussed, prior knowledge isn't there from a lot of viewers. And they're like, yeah, I don't get it. So I'm trying to work in public. But working in public, obviously, there is the the question about intellectual property. Am I stealing other people's intellectual property if I'm sharing their research? Or is someone else going to steal my intellectual property if I am creating connections between one research and another research? I think it's an interesting conversation about working in public, what you should share, shouldn't share, could, couldn't. What are your thoughts? It's a decision to make. 
and there are consequences <laughs> well well it is there's no right answer there is it's it's understanding the consequences of what you decide that's the important part is like if you work in public you work in public for me i've always found working in public a bit showmanship i don't think that's quite the right phrase i'm looking for but it's very like ego driven there's a risk it can be very ego driven and so i find the working in public idea it doesn't fit me it doesn't suit me i'm quite a quiet private person i like sharing what i have but not to everyone because and not from a standpoint of like not wanting to show all of my workings but also from a standpoint of the amount of time it takes to share what i have is more than I, I'm spending more time sharing what I have rather than doing it, which I think for me is what I'm more interested in 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 doing is is the action is the move is the movement versus the sharing everything. Um, so working in public for me is I would it be easier on my business if I shared everything in public? Probably yes, but will I know? Not really, because then I would be spending more time talking about my working in public and I don't have, I can't stand notifications anyway. So what do you think about other people working in public? Because I know you look through my notes every once in a while. Um, what what are your thoughts on those people? Oh, on, are you meaning as in yourself, people well, who share their notes and research and stuff or what? just generally thoughts i mean people with blogs and articles are obviously sharing their 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 reasoning their working outs in their head whether that's notes or articles or videos some of them being i find the notes more valuable to me like if i want to find some more research stuff to go into i'll go to your page and look at the references and then I'll go and find my own conclusions and, and look through the papers. Because um, that was something that I've been thinking about recently. It's like, you've got basically all of the stuff that I could want, you've got already. And you've summarized beautifully, but you've summarized from your perspective. So I'm like, okay, do I want, and I can then decide what I want to do with that. And I think the same, what I find hard with blogs and some of the other you know mediums. Uh, yeah all of that it, it feels very top surface level and missing a lot of the context whereas what i find from you and the when you go down to notes specifically with the research and all of that the juicy pieces is that it's actually valuable because when I, I see it on Twitter, an awful lot, I've just earned £10,000. I am, you know, 12 years old and I've earned this amount of money. It's like, yeah, you have. That's not sharing anything. Here's how I did it. Let me give you 10 tweets. Just do what I do. But you're missing the context, the the delightful yummy details that people actually want and well no that actually need they see the delicious like hey look at me i've earned 10k as a 12 year old that's great but then they turn it into this lesson which isn't really a lesson it's just i did these things but the thing is, is that someone can replicate what you did and it means nothing because you're missing and lacking all of the context for me, I find more context more valuable, but more context is overwhelming and it can't be put in a tweet. That's why my <laughs> tweets are so flipping long. It's fair. It's fair. So with the with you using those examples then, the, the working in public of people that are sharing ish what they're doing and giving giving you exactly like their process, but missing out a lot of the context as to the whys, the hows. Um what would you class that as? Would you class that still as working in public? Just do you think they're deliberately hiding the context? Obviously, this is guessing what they're doing. But yeah, you, I don't know whether they're that... deliberately hiding. There may be some deliberate 
missing out of little pieces because it sounds cooler and summarization and making it as simple as possible and bite size so people retweet and share it so that they get more famous. I think there is a bit of like that, but also I don't know for sure whether they even know what they, they I don't know whether they even know the context. And that's the interesting thing. That's what I'm more interesting. Do they realize why it's working? Do they know why this is working? They're saying their process and the beautiful tweets that are sexy and delicious and we all love a little bit of that. But do they know why? Because what happens is they share the surface level hacks, tips and tricks versus going deeper into a place of like, this is how I work. This is why I work. Something that I'm experimenting with my podcast is actually everyone, a, a lot of the advice I've been getting and a lot of people have been saying, talk about the tools you use because people love the tool talk. They love to hear oh, yeah. about the apps that I use. And I'm like, I have been resisting that forever because it's annoying. <laughs> it's like, it I use matter. this tool. Oh, let me go sign up. <laughs> there's no context with why I have these tools. And so something that I'm doing on my podcast and I've got, I recorded one today. I've got a couple more to record of like where I'm actually talking about the story behind the app because one stories, stories are fun and telling stories is great. And I enjoy that. And I'm a pretty good storyteller. And then you actually get my context instead of just the app. And then from there, I can do the stupid, annoying tweets. Like, it's an option to do that. And for some people, just having the surface level is fine. And I get that. And that's okay. But I think there needs to be a deeper context there. And for me, for me to do the surface level kind of working along, sharing my journey, there needs to be context. Therefore, I think that's something that we have said from the very beginning of this podcast contexts matter so much and that is like you know yeah i mean one of the so the the definition that of effective coaching that i always go back to because i mean i heard it like first year undergrad i think i've shared it with you yeah. um i i've got a video coming out on it as well like on the on the paper but it's con context is the very last bit consistent application of professional interpersonal and intrapersonal knowledge to improve athletes competence confidence connection and character in specific coaching contexts you're like well that's important um, and using an analogy for what you were talking about there with your workings inside of maths at school lots of people know oh yeah we need to use the pythagoras theorem how many people actually know what that is <laughs> oh it's a squared plus b squared equals c squared oh is that pythagoras or is that just the, the formula you remembered what does the squared bit mean? What's A? What's B? What's C? <laughs> and people forget. So unless you know the workings of the formula, how to do it, how to apply it to the context, here's a triangle. That triangle looks different from the triangle I had in my head. Oh, you, st you still need to use Pythagoras. Yeah, but the theorem doesn't work. That's because it's a different formula. You need to adapt it. Oh, how do I do that? Well, I told you it's Pythagoras. Yeah, but it's not. <laughs> Slightly different. Um and and that's how I see the showing of the workings. If if you get the formula bit, but you don't get how to actually use the formula bit, then it's it's kind of useless. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's it's not the showing the workings thing is far harder than getting the answer. Oh yeah, but it's where all the magic comes from. It's where all the real results answers the solutions come from the context not from the answer the solution comes from the context not the answer and that okay I... e ed what's the solution ah shit <laughs> um, what is a solution the in i suppose it would be the environment Mm, it's always all within the environment. It's the... Yeah, it's not how I would see it. Mm. Would it be the system itself? Which one? Mm. Good question. Because the system is self-organized elements. Yeah, good point. Damn it. 
but but that's that's what I think it is. I think a solution is self-organized elements inside of your system. So you have your system, you have the environment of stuff. Because remember, it's not two D; it's three D. Yeah. Um, so you have your system with systems inside it, and then you have lots of elements moving around in your system and elements yeah. outside of the system. And you're going, all oh, right, so I need these elements to fit together, but I need that element from outside of my system. I'm going to bring it from the environment into the system and now create a self-organized solution or self-organized system inside of the system. Um, and again, all of those elements that were already in your system may be in other systems. They can be in multiple systems. That's complexity theory. Um, and that, that's how that's what I would see a solution. I would see a solution as combining elements of inside of your system with elements in the environment to create a new emergence of a system complex system um yeah cool yeah there you go. yeah that's how i would say it. i mean i'm i'm sort of like i'm i'm not asking because i'm like oh yeah i know how to explain it from ed it's me exploring ed myself and trying to conceptualize this um and the reason i'm i guess a bit of background the reason i'm trying to conceptualize this is because fluid dynamics is a way of thinking about the mind which i'm not getting into because i don't understand well enough at all yet um but fluid dynamics could be a way to explain social environments through an ecological dynamics perspective because ed doesn't work like linear it's not this then this then that it's fluid um but we don't understand fluid dynamics well enough at the moment from a phys um physics maths perspective so we're like mm. um they're and trying, the more, but it is yeah. still quite like the the person, the people that were put up for um oh what's the thing? The big sciencey thing that people get Nobel Prize, that's the one. Uh, the people that were put up for the Nobel Prize are looking, they were looking to mathematically prove fluid dynamics. Like that that's how forefront of thinking we are. We're like, hey, here's some phys uh, physicists trying to understand fluid dynamics, and fluid dynamics apply to ecological dynamics. It's very, very similar. Um which could explain a lot of the what we would class as non-linear environments that we live in instead of it being this and this and this it's actually moving all over the place and it can be predicted so if you like if you drop a, a pebble in the pond you can see the ripples go out but if there's two pebbles dropped no matter how like the the different timings they go in it has to be exactly the same for the exact same ripples to happen which doesn't happen which is why you can get completely different uh, i think chaos theory is where you can put things really 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 narrowly different and get drastically different results the butterfly effect that sort of stuff yeah and yeah. if we can understand that better i understand not necessarily knowledge of causes but grasp the math the physics the real things behind it we could then explain stuff that's going on and then when we bring ecological dynamics into a world that traditionally is seen as linear and then try and explain those things because a lot of the what i see as struggles or struggle of conceptualizations of what's actually going on i.e working memory memory i struggle to do xyz a lot of those things are explained through linear processes what if it was a non-linear process now how would you explain it and when we had the conversation about adhd from an ed perspective that was the first time i'd done that um, it was an off podcast for those listening, but I was like, actually, that makes a lot of sense. And and like neurodivergence in general is very much we think differently. And what I think that means, and this is you know just my opinion, I think it is we think in ecological dynamics and fluid. We we see things in that way because although I can't fully explain what it is it just it seems like a well duh <laughs> it doesn't feel like a stretch do i know all of the the can i name the concepts correct correctly no but do i understand what that means yeah i can't name the concepts but i know what it means i just can't find the words to connect the two it's a it's a duh. You have a different degree of understanding. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I have I a different degree of understanding. <laughs> it makes you sound smart. Thank you. Uh, yeah. The so when you when you said that, I was, I, I didn't like it a little bit 
Um, but I think that's partly due to my uh, dislike to labels and categories. Yeah. I see neurodivergence not as those people that are categorized as neurodivergent. I see everyone as neurodivergent because everyone is different. But I see those individuals that have a tendency for traditional neurodivergence, whatever that category looks like, uh, I think their self-organization works differently. So the fluid dynamics of their organization in the system functions in a different way to the neurotypical people, however that's described, which means that the function or the organization of the system is different for each individual. Those individuals that lean one way in an organization, so struggle with organizing certain elements in the environment or in the system or in systems of systems, they struggle with that. So from a complexity theorist perspective, maybe people with ADHD struggle to organize things that are already in systems, or maybe it's the other way around, and they struggle to organize things that aren't in systems. So getting things from an environment to a system through that boundary line is difficult for them. If it is, then we can still explain it the exact same as a neurotypical person. It goes from environment into system. But that process of going from environment to system, there is more friction because of something, whether it's dark matter, I have no idea here. <laughs> but the the process is different. Maybe maybe the, the barrier is thicker for individuals with ADHD because of constraints, something in the environment, the, the boundary line being thicker for whatever reason. Maybe it's thinner for whatever reason. I don't know. But those sorts of interactions between the fluid dynamics of the system environment and elements is different. But it can all be explained for everyone. That's how I see it at the moment. Yeah, and I, I, I agree to a certain degree. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you, and I, yeah, there's still something that's not quite. I think what it is, like this, is my pure from experience, no science at all. But it is, we are being expected to fit into a system that has been universally agreed by everyone. But, like, there are constraints that are put upon us when we self-organize. A really good example of this is, like, my partner. She does not, like, she struggles to drink, but it's important for her to drink, and there's no way of doing it. Like, everything that she's told to do doesn't work. But she figured out a way of making sure she drinks. It's a just a single piece of music, an eight-second clip. And it makes, it helps her. She's self-organized that. And so I built something so that it goes off on her phone. She couldn't make the alarm do what it needs to do because the alarm wouldn't play the song for whatever reason. And so I just built something, a really simple shortcut, to play that every hour. And that helps her to self-organize. And I think that there is the epitome of why I do what I do, because what I think I'm helping people to do is self-organize. That is literally it. So what, what I see that as is you've got the environment, which is chaotic. That's what an environment is. And you've got the system, i.e. the person. And you are the mediator, the coach, the helper um, to connect the dots the the the, yeah. the parts the elements between the environment and the system and that's what a coach should do that's the whole point that's ecological dynamics constraints led approach to coaching blah 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 and that, that's what they're meant to do i think what what you raised is i, th I think it's uh a potentially a preconceived notion about what a system is but the system that i.e the the living system the systems that we live in the society blah 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 is is built for other people. I don't think it's built for other people. I think it's built for the people that built it. Like it's it's organized for them. Yeah. Yeah. So that is it, more accurate. Yeah. So it's it's so it suits them rather than the others. But there are loads of others. And I think it's the person's ability to organize their elements in the same way as the other organization and if you can't organize your elements in the same way as them well, then you're not going to fit that system because you can't organize it um, and being able to organize it that way some people just can't do it hence neurodivergence um, so I would I would see the system that's been built 
is a system that might necessarily be accessible to some people because of the organization, the way the organization has worked. Maybe there are elements in there that just don't fit. They they repel. I again, this is fluid dynamics. Some some parts when you put them in a in a pond, they they fly off completely opposite directions. But they're meant to be together. It, it doesn't work. <laughs> um, and and that's how I see it. Some people there are elements that just do not match. Sometimes you can work around it with really long connectors that go all over the place. But most of the time, nah, they're they're just different directions. It just doesn't work. Um, So I think everyone is neurodivergent, whatever that category, whatever that word means. Um, But some people don't fit some environments because there are elements that just don't connect or can't connect for whatever reason. And no amount of habit formation is going to help with that. Well, I, th- I think there it comes down to how do you make the connection and is the connection worth making? Because you could probably get the thing to happen, but it would take so much energy because it's so far away, so much effort that you wouldn't be able to do anything else and it wouldn't be productive. Yeah. Like, is that trade-off worth it? Worth it? It's like building a bridge like all the way around the world. Is there any point? No, I'm just going to go from country to country instead. <laughs> I'm going to use the bridges that have already been built. But doing that, if you if you go by like train or by car to somewhere that's really far away, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of fuel, a lot of energy. You get tired through it, or you could get a plane. <laughs> that's how I see it, and I see those people with ADHD, autism, the neurodivergent spectrum. They're trying to take cars to the other side of the world where everyone else is trying to take a plane. That's how I see it. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah that, that's the analogy i have in my head um because everyone's still a person they're still the same thing it's just their route to get to the end is different and unfortunately some people unknowing to them pick a route that's difficult or they're scared of flying they don't like flying oh, this is going with the analogy of course but if they're scared of flying they don't like flying or they can't get on a plane it's not close enough to them so to get do on the you plane. see is <laughs> so do you see the plane as in this analogy as the right decision no what do you see it as the quickest solution Mm. it's the it's the quickest it's the quickest solution for um a to b Mm -hmm. but if you want to go elsewhere i if you're going to go i don't know explore the countryside, explore different parts along the journey. It may take you longer, but you now understand where you got there. Mm-hmm. Which I which I think describes quite well neurodivergent individuals and their journey to a, to a place. It's not a, I'm going to go from A to B. I'm not going to go from an airport to an airport. I'm going to go from a station to a town, to a city, to a countryside, because the sat now took me all over the place. And then I finally get there, but it took me two hours longer. Mm. Cool. Do you uh, agree, disagree, or you're pondering it still? <laughs> yeah, still pondering. I see. I think I get what you're saying. But also, there is a, a block. I agree, but but I don't have a formed, like, but reasoning there. I have a but, but I don't know. I can't explain it. Yeah, no, that's understandable. And it's the, the way I would see that is I think this is me guessing. I think that's a preconceived notion of your conceptualization of what something was. And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. I think it is, yeah. So, but yeah, and you, I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm changing anyone's mind or changing anything new or doing anything different. It's just a different way of looking at the same problem. Yeah. Which is, it was linear. This is a non-linear approach. How do I, how do I get that? Which is learning. And yeah. I still don't get it. I, I may sound like I understand exactly what I'm talking about, but this is just things that's going around in my head that make sense to me at, the, at this moment in time. Who knows? In two weeks' time, I may be like, nah, nah, ADHD people, are, they're, they're actually getting on a plane going the other direction. Who knows? 
I don't think it is, but yeah, fair enough. Nice. I, th- I think that that rounds us out quite well. Nice. Yes. Uh, yeah, we still haven't come up with an ending. No. <laughs> We we can't use keep them coupled. I I don't know. Bye. Bye.